I, uh, I, I got this filter as a Christian. I got this filter by which whenever I see something, now because I've been reading God's word and I'm understanding who he is, I, I see stuff differently. So when I'm like uh, watching as a little boy will help another little boy across the street, I'm like, oh, that's, that's cool the way he served him. It wasn't just kindness, it was service. Or if I hear about a guy and girl share, what's up, y'all? I hear about a guy and girl share uh, about how they came together and how their paths crossed. I'm like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. God's sovereign hand brought them together. You know, like when, you, when you're a Christian, stuff happens in the world, but the way you see it is a little, is a little bit different. I got a, 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 a what do I call it, like a guilty pleasure. Uh, I like watching like bloopers, America's Funny Home videos, you know, people tripping. Yeah. It's... And, and one of the things I really enjoy, even though it's not truly like reality, but I enjoy reality TV. And uh, a, a couple of times I've been brought to tears because I'll see on reality TV this real big, like strong dude. I'm talking about like maybe in his past life he was a biker, real tough, or a brother that just like came out, out, came out the system and, and like tough. And, and in reality TV, he's hard. He's, he's like can break a brick with his pinky, you know what I mean? Like, and, and he's in a relationship and then his girl catches him doing something wrong. And you see, you see this, this big, strong person break down and start crying and start saying, boo, like you, you, you know that I, I was tripping. I was foolish. I'm sorry. Like, would you please forgive me? I apologize. But then they, then they go from just the apology to the, to the next stage, right? To the, and you just been so good to me. You like, you took care of my dog. You like, you know, clip my toenails, girl. You was the one, you know. And you start seeing beyond just simply a confession and admission of wrong, a recognition that, man, I could have lost something that was so good. I could have, I could have potentially harmed the one who loved me most. Even in reality TV, even in the world, people get a sense and an understanding of confession. Today, as we dive into Nehemiah and we continue going through this series on the beauty of revival, of God reviving and breathing new life into his people, we're going to look at the topic of confession. It's, it's one that is it's tough for me to make joyous, so we probably won't be smiling and laughing a whole lot this sermon. But I think it's one that is equally healthy for all of us to understand. So if you would, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. And if you remember last week, we kind of put together a, a, a visual illustration that if this podium is the presence of God, and when you first get saved, you are close to God, you are near to God, you are connected to God, over time, different things begin to lull you to sleep. Maybe it's some hurt, some pain, some doubt, some worry, some letdown. But that 
fire, that fervor you had when you first got saved and you were right next to God, some reason you physically feel like you're not as close, not as intimate. And revival is God rebirthing in you a new spirit that draws you right back close, intimate, connected in a deep sense. And so last week, we talked about the beauty of revival and one of the things that brings forth revival, a a, a new, fresh spirit of Jesus, is his people getting into his word. And in verse 810, it said, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen. They were lifting up their hands, bowing their heads, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We talked about the beauty of people being free to worship in a way God has created them in their own rhythm, but yet and still he does that to us corporately as a body. So we might individually have our own rhythm, bob into our headphones, but then at some point he brings the beat in unison and we are corporately worshiping God. And in verse 10 of chapter 8 he said, go away, eat, drink, Send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So as I as I begin to talk about confession, I realize that there are some in the room that are asking the question, Pastor, why should I care about this at all? You 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 assume that I have a heart that leans towards confessing. Why should I care? If, if, if revival is this drawing us back to, to God, putting a new fire in us, bringing us closer to God, sin is, is like the strings on our back that's making the ability to get closer to God that much more difficult. It is, it is entangling us. It is keeping us bound. And what God wants to do is cut those strings that are holding us back from experiencing a beautiful and holy God to the fullest, he cuts those with scissors of confession. And so we as his people have an opportunity to experience a newness of God as we are letting go sin. And and today we're going to talk about not necessarily what that looks like for you just in your personal life, but what it would look like more for us corporately as a body. So join with me. Verse 9. Excuse me. Chapter 9, verse 1. Nehemiah. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. The wearing of sackcloth is a, is a, uh, uh, symbolizes mourning, it symbolizes humility. You'll know from our previous chapter, we were talking about rejoice in the Lord. He's your strength. There was a joy. Now the tone has shifted. It's one of mourning. It's one of, 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 a, of a, bit of, a bit of grief. God is still their strength, but they're starting to come to terms with something. Later we'll see uh, exactly why they, that mourning is happening. 
But I want to define for you guys confession. Because understanding what confession is will allow us to understand what God is asking of us. Confession has two meanings. Meaning number one, it's an allegiance to God. An allegiance to God. Meaning number two, confession is an admission of guilt or sin. An admission of guilt or sin. When I, uh, last week, actually a couple days ago, uh, the Pistons were playing against the Cavs. And uh, they beat the Cavs. Yep, they brought it. They brought it. Pistons looking good this year. We hope that this keeps on happening. Uh, but, but, but the Cavs had this slogan called All In. And when they would get together and huddle, you got my, my, got my image up there for me, Big Daddy? They, they would get together and huddle, and all of the team members would get together, and then they would bring their arms in. Everybody's hands at each other, and they would say all in, meaning we're giving every aspect of who we are. Even if you missed a shot, get back on defense. Even if he beats you, get back. Like, just be all in. Give me 110%, and that's all I ask of you. There was, there was a time where, and, and so that in, in, in some ways, each time they left the huddle, they were giving their confession that we're going to all be all in 110%. Christians have had to go through processes where we defined what our allegiance to Christ looks like. And there was a a, a, a time where even though we all believe the beautiful doctrines of Christ, we needed some unity in expressing what it meant to be all in. So in, in 325, there was this, this, this doctrine created called the Nicene Creed. And the Nicene Creed has cut across cultures. You've got Catholic, Protestant, Eastern Orthodox, like, you pick it, if Jesus' name is associated with it, the Nicene Creed is something that churches throughout history have agreed in, where churches said, this is what we confess to, all in. We confess to, here's some of these words from the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. You can continue reading it when you get home. Nicene Creed. What am I saying? I'm saying that portion, a meaning of confession means you are making your allegiance to I'm making my allegiance to this beautiful God. I'm, I'm showing that I'm, that I'm all in. But then continue with me in verse 3. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. I love that, that you get this, this beautiful aspect of what worship looks like. That confession can be a part of worship. It's not something separate. It is actually a part of what it looks like to worship the Lord. I, uh, 
I got a phone call from a sister, and she was just saying, Pastor, like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to deal with some folks in my life that I love, but we don't see eye to eye, and my emotions are starting to get to me. But what I want to first do, what I want to do is understand the word. So I've been reading. Is this what this is saying in the word? Is this what this is saying in the word? Because I can more readily be able to engage with them and be able to even calm my emotions when I know what God's word is saying. You see, confession has to start with understanding who God is and hearing who he is and understanding your allegiance to him. And then out of that, we begin to see, and like in verse 3, that in understanding the beauty of who you are, we can understand what the standard is. What the standard is. Sometimes I'm, I'm with my kids and they'll do something that is uh, not expected of them. And, and, and when we're about to, about to get a consequence or we're about to rebuke them, I'll be like, okay, so can you tell me why you did that? Can you tell me what dad expected of you? Because, see, if you don't know what dad wanted you to do, then most of the time, daddy's going to extend some grace. But if you understood what mom and dad wanted you to do and chose to do something different anyway, I'm going to receive the confession. But that consequence might look a little different. The goal there, family, is to understand that confession has to be connected to what the standard is, and the standard is God. So the beauty of these two meanings of first confession being I confess my allegiance to, but then also an admission of guilt. Now, there's three types of confession that happen. Private, where you alone at home confess to God. There's also public, where you, before the larger congregation, confess to God. Then there is corporate, where the community in unity is confessing to God. Today, we're not going to look at the first two. We're not looking at private and public. Today, God's word is teaching us about corporate, what it looks like for a community in unity to be confessing to God. Leviticus 16 tries to like lay some background for us, all right? Because I want you to see like this is a pattern that's leading up to Nehemiah. Leviticus 16 says, And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of a live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins and shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. So Aaron was was this priest that took the sins of everyone and tried to symbolize that sin leaving the camp. And he did so that so that all the people could be atoned for, so that their sins could, in a sense, be paid for by this lamb. Then in Leviticus 26, 40, it says, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me and also and walking contrary to me, their iniquity. It's corporate confession. We know the famous verse in Second Chronicles seven fourteen says, 
if my people who are called by my name will humble what? Themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from them. Then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Why, why am I like starting to build a case for some corporate action? I'm building a case because our natural tendency, because we've been freed in Christ, is to say, hold up, pastor. What you mean corporate? Jesus died for me. Your sin ain't my sin. Corporate stopped when I became my own person doing my own thing. So whatever y'all do is on y'all. That has no bearing on me. I'm only responsible for myself. At varying levels, we believe that. At varying levels, that kind of warped understanding has seeped its way into the church. And, And I'm not trying to heap a bunch of guilt on you to say, Everybody in your past, all of their sins are yours. I'm not saying that. What I am trying to start doing, though, is building a case that there's something beautiful about the body of Christ, this church that God unifies us. And in unifying us, we get some great benefits. We get some amazing unity. But you can't just have unity on the good side. You can't just enjoy you know, the, the free stuff that comes with the coupon. Sometimes we're looking for you to pay. That was a bad example. <laughs> but, 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 but the beauty of doing true life together means that I get to thrive and celebrate when something joyous happens, but I also feel the grief when somebody in the camp does something that is horrific. I feel the pain, too. And so in Ezra chapter 9, 9 and 10 are actually two chapters. And you guys know, as we've been going through Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Ruth are all kind of like connected, telling this beautiful story about God calling his people home and caring for them even when they were displaced. But in Ezra chapter 9, I want you to hear these these first four verses. Ezra chapter 9, it says, After these things have been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken, here's, here's what the sin is, for they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and the chief men has been foremost. Basically, what just happened is God said, look, I love y'all. Y'all are my people. You are dearly loved. I've set you apart. Remember them rules that you can get punished for? Because I love you, I'm trying to set up some boundaries that's going to protect you. Remember them rules, all them rules? Them people ignoring the rules. Them people don't care about the rules. Them people actually worshiping a God that's totally against my rules. So I don't want you marrying them. I want you to understand that you worship me and I love you. And yet, you want to go and enjoy your flesh. You want to go delight in a party at night. You want to go and and shack up with somebody that you know is totally contrary to who I am. And that's what the people had done. But look at what Ezra says. 
He says in verse 3, as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak. I pulled my hair from my head, from, from my head and my beard, and I sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithfulness, faithlessness of the returned exile gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. Ezra was not one of the people who went and married the women that they weren't supposed to. Ezra was actually doing what he was supposed to do. He was upholding the faith. But yet when this group went and did it, his heart broke. Yet when this group went and did it, he sat, began mourning, and the people of God who also did not marry them came around him and joined him and said, dang, look at this sin that we have committed. He didn't say, look at this sin they did. He didn't say, look at this sin that they wronged. He said, we. And even in verse, 9, in verse 15, it says, O oh Lord, the God of Israel, you are just for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. If you look in chapter 10, it lists actually every person that was in one of those marriages. And the, the, the theologians who are way smarter than me went through and they actually numbered all of the people of God and all of the people who were in these marriages, and they said it was half a percent. Half a percent. That all these people felt the pain of this small amount. Why? Because the sin broke God's heart that much. The sin broke God's heart that much, and what it did is it led the whole group to say, I think we got to confess. I think, I think we got to confess because, because of the beauty of the oneness of who we are, I think we got to confess. There's some denominations that are out there, and, uh, and each denomination is unique. Uh, and there's a denomination that uh, is a little bit different than us, but still our brothers in Christ, still, are, are, still celebrate Jesus and love Jesus dearly. It's called the... the uh, Presbyterian Church USA. I want you to see what confession as a whole looks like today. Because you're saying, man, pastor, like, what, so, so what, what, what are you saying? Let me give you a, an example of a letter written by the Presbyterian Church USA. You can find this in their, in their uh, magazine called By Faith. It's their online magazine, and the title is called Personal Resolution on Civil Rights Remembrance. It says, whereas last year and this year marked significant anniversaries in the civil rights movement, 2014 was the 60th anniversary of the United States Supreme Court decision, Brown versus Board of Education, and the 50th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act and Freedom Summer, and 2015 was the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, and the Selma to Montgomery March, and whereas many of our conservative Presbyterian churches at the time not only failed to support the civil rights movement, but actively worked against racial reconciliation in both church and society. 
And whereas the 30th General Assembly adopted a resolution on racial reconciliation that confessed its covenantal, generational, heinous sins connected with unbiblical forms of servitude, but failed to deal with the covenantal, generational, heinous, heinous sins committed during much of the recent civil rights era. And whereas the 36th, 32nd General Assembly adopted a pastoral letter on the gospel and race that was produced under the oversight of our mission of North America Committee, but that also failed to acknowledge the lack of solidarity with African Americans, which many of our churches displayed during the civil rights era. And whereas our denominations continued unwillingness to speak truthfully about our failure to seek justice and to love mercy during the civil rights era significantly hinders present day efforts for reconciliation with African-American brothers and sisters. And whereas God has once more given our denomination a gracious providential opportunity to show the beauty, grace, and power of the gospel of Jesus Christ by showing like love, by showing compassion towards the greater African-American community. Be it therefore resolved that the 43rd General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in America does recognize and confess our church's covenantal and generational involvement and complicity with racial injustice inside and outside of our churches during the civil rights period. There is more. I think you get the point. I think you get the point. This, this isn't an issue of me saying, last week, did you have slaves? Last week, did... No, this, this is, hey, an egregious sin has taken place within the body of Christ. And what we want to do is be a people that says, Lord, if there is anything that is holding us back from being able to experience the beauty and the revival that you would have for us, show us. Show us so that we can, before you, God, say, please forgive us. And even in what we create, it has to show, though, it has to show confession from an allegiance standpoint to the beauty of who you are while admitting guilt. It has to be both. It has to be both. And so... We continue in verse 4. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebenai, Buni, uh, Sherebiah, Benai, uh, Chenini, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. I, I, I was, I'm asking you all to pray for your elders. We as an elder team met yesterday, and I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. God is doing some, some great things in the midst of this body, and uh, the Lord is hooking us up. But if there is anything that we don't see as elders that's holding us back, pray to God will reveal it. The, the beauty of that Ezra story is that people actually came to Ezra and said, hey, there's some heinous stuff going on you need to know about. Some folks are marrying folks that they shouldn't be. And that led towards this whole process. So some of the things maybe you need to be praying that God will reveal to us. 
But maybe your voice is one of the things that helps us understand more clearly how our church can continue to flourish in the future. So pray for us. But I, I, I would like for you to actually allow the first four verses to be a filter uh, by which you hear the next verses. I know I can take one verse and try to allow God's word to be unpacked so it could be about 15 minutes each verse. Don't worry, I won't do that the rest because we got a lot more verses to go. Don't, don't get scared. But what I do want to do is for you to kind of do an exercise with me, a listening exercise. You see, confession is both an allegiance to God and an owning of guilt or sin. As I read from verses 6 on, I would like for you to just have your pen and a piece of paper. And every time you hear an, an allegiance to God, just write an A. Every time you hear a confession of guilt, write a C. And let's see how many uh, 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 admissions and these allegiances do these people have packed within prayer as they're also confessing sin and guilt. Because I think this is a good model for the church, but I also want to say I think it's even a good personal model. A's and C's. Here we go. So on at verse 6, you are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heavens of the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heavens worship you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham and brought him out of the Ur of Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give his offspring, the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of your fathers in Egypt and heard their cry and, and, and heard their cry at the Red Sea. And performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of a cloud, you led them in the day. And by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their necks and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. 
But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies. You and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sion, king of Heshbon, and the land of Ah, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you, hold, that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land the Canaanites, and gave them into their land with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient. And rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who warned them in order to take them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave into the hand you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, you cried out. Excuse me. In the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their mercies, from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet they turned and cried to you. You heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commands, but sinned against your rules, which which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us upon our kings, upon our princes, upon our priests, upon our prophets, upon our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully 
and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large, rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to, your, to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. Do you see the, the, the heart of these people? Did, did, you, did you see some, some, some confessions that were aligning with who God is, the beauty of who he is, along with the admission of guilt? You got to see those things working tandemly, hand in hand, and, 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 and we could understand it today, you know? We, we have a, a cool couple outreaches that take place. We've got a harvest party coming up. And uh, we sometimes do the three-on-three tournament. And uh, I remember, you know, just, just imagine this, if you will. Imagine if we have our three-on-three tournament, the whole church is out there doing a bunch of great stuff. And then we got a bunch of snacks for the kids and snacks for the families. And we giving people the little Debbies. You know what I'm saying? We giving them fruit snacks. And people just throw it on the ground. Leave it on the ground. Trash the whole park, and we leave. If you come the next day wearing your MacAv sweatshirt, and you weren't at the three-on-three tournament, what do you think the community is going to say to you? They might, they might not say a word and come with these, you know, like who knows what they're going to say. All I know is, do you think you get off because you weren't at the event? Do, do, do you think that, that because you weren't present, your connection, like that, that, that lets you off the hook? No, no, like we, we are his body. We are his people. So when, so when we break his heart, confession goes a long way to restoration. I mean, I, I could not have chosen to preach this sermon this week. But what, what do you think would happen if, if Cantrell's called up each family and just said, we're sorry? What, what were we, we're sorry. What, what were we doing? What would happen if the Catholic Church called up each of those family in Pennsylvania and just said, we know we've broken your heart and we are sorry and we've broken the heart of God and we got some things to work on, but we just want to confess. Family, what does this mean for us today? I don't know right now. I'm just going to say pastorally, I don't know right now because I'm not aware of a heinous sin that all of us have committed that we need to own. What, what I love, though, is that God sometimes takes away from you the focus on you and says, I want you to understand it's bigger than you. 
that there's a corporate aspect of worship that matters. And that I long for revival, but if sin is in the camp, it can hinder my fresh life being breathed into your corporate worship. And so as we talk about what revival looks like through this book of Nehemiah, last week we talked about it's got to be rooted in God's word and that he is our joy. But this week, we see the beauty of confession. May it free us up to experience the beauty of who Jesus is. Now, I, I also recognize that before I can talk about, though, the beauty of what corporate confession is, what we all confessing together is, you got to have an experience where you individually confess that Jesus is Lord. Matthew 10, verse 32 says this. It says, Whosoever, therefore, shall confess before men, him will I confess also before the Father which is in heaven. You see, Jesus wants that allegiance. He wants each and every one of us as individuals to say, this God is my God. If you have any questions, who I rock with, who I align with, where my energy, attention, and heart is devoted, it's with Christ. And Christ says, Ah, I delight in that. And so now as I delight in that, I'll, I'll say the same thing to my father. She rocks with me. He rocks with me. As I have their fully allegiance, father, their allegiance is to me. So experience the reconciliation through Christ. But if you have not confessed Jesus as your God, as Jesus as your Lord, we offer you that opportunity today. Because if you are not confessing him as your Lord, you are confessing someone or something else to be your Lord. And today can be the new day, a new beginning, a fresh start, a confession that will cleanse you of anything holding you back from thriving in the Lord. If you desire that, I will be up front after service. If you desire to confess that Jesus is your king and have not yet done so, please come forward after service. Let us pray. Father, we are a, um, a body that is responsible for our own actions, but also responsible to one another because we represent you as a whole. Lead us in, in navigating and walking that line well. Guide us, Lord, to be able to recognize that you desire revival here and bring to our attention anything that would hinder that taking place. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.